right, friends, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. It is Location Weekly. It's actually episode number 549. I know I said that last week. It was 548 last week. Um, but we're uh, we're here. It's 549. And uh, we're recording on December the 28th. Um, and uh, it's not our normal show, as I highlighted last week. This is our annual prediction show, where we don't talk about the news necessarily of the week past or the weeks past we kind of just take a little step back and kind of look at what we think is in the crystal ball ahead um, and just some ideas that Aubriana and I have on kind of what we might expect so Aubriana, how are you um, I'm good I've really enjoyed just the downtime this past week and kind of um, you know turning things off, disconnecting for a while and time with family and, and kids. And uh, we had some snow flurries on Christmas Eve, so that was fun. And, um, you know, just the whole chaos of little ones, like, you know, opening lots of gifts and playing with new crafts and toys and books. So it's been fun. But um, yeah, so I was able to really spend some good time uh, between last night and this morning brainstorming on predictions and and talking about those things. So it was nice to turn my brain on in a different way outside of mom mode for a few moments. And uh, yeah, though, closing out the year strong, just trying to enjoy some uh, PTO that I didn't ever take. <laughs> yeah, it's been um, Similar in, in some ways for me, I've had lots of time, uh, mostly because uh, I uh, actually uh, tested positive for COVID. So I've been kind of in the uh, full on isolation, didn't do any family time or any Christmas of uh, celebrations or anything just because needed to stay on my own. So gave me lots of time to just sort of catch up and watch a lot of Netflix and um, just kind of chill out a little bit. So that was good. Um, but ready to jump back into it and kind of, you know, get right back into work mode here. So, um, you know, kick off uh, the new year. So, as I said, it's our uh, prediction show. And so we've got uh, a couple, well, three, I think, uh, each that we're going to just uh, touch on you know, over the next few minutes. And I'll let Aubriana start us off with, uh, you know, what she's thinking for, uh, for 2022. Okay, let's kick it off. So... My first prediction is going to be one that is very in line with my day-to-day -day work. And I do think we're going to continue to see a lot of growth in CTV this year um, in 2022. But I think that it's going to come with some refinement alongside of that. So some key areas that I think that we're going to see some changes. I, I do think we'll continue to see more CTV bought and sold programmatically. Um, and an increased ad spend on that channel as well. Um, you know, I think a big influencer is likely going to be the midterm um, elections and politics that will play a big role here in the US. Um, so I think we're gonna see a lot more on that, on the CTV side, um, this election cycle than we saw in the last. And I think we're gonna continue to see an increase in a migration to AVOD. So the advertising video on demand, more and more people want to move off of those expensive, uh, you know, um, cable bills that they're paying for whatever channels that maybe they are or are not watching. And I, I do think in particular, we're going to see a lot of growth uh, in the EU5 here. 
So I, I'm expecting to see that continue to increase as well. Um, also, I think we're going to witness some more experiential advertising in the CTV space. So that could be interacting with QR codes on our smart TVs, um, you know, even some AR type of engagement, just more experiential type of, um, you know, ads that we're going to see where not only is it more um, attribution or kind of trackable in terms of how the actual uh, format is performing, but just, you know, pushing towards engagement. Um, so we'll see a big focus on measurement, I believe. And one of the key drivers for that, in my opinion, is that, you know, traditional linear television that we've seen has always been measured by the likes of Nielsen and their panel. And, you know, when my husband Jerome and I actually moved to Atlanta what, 12 years ago now, we were a we were a Nielsen panel family. Like we had a you know a panel, and I know how that works. And so it's actually a little bit mind blowing to me that this archaic approach to kind of lumping everybody into one postal code with similar behaviors that happen to fit a, a bilingual household in this age range is is a little bit um, yeah it, it's it's an antique approach, right? So I think we're going to see some. Some new changes there, especially after they lost their MRC accreditation, um, and advertisers and brands are going to, you know, demand more transparency. They're going to want to see more data behind, um, you know, the evidence and efficacy and reach that their advertising is having, um, specifically in the CTV space, because it is a much more measurable environment than traditional linear has been. And I think we're going to, alongside of that, see a lot of companies shift or start to offer, you know, measurement, um, attribution, whether that's footfall or purchase attribution, um, and, and just reporting across the CTV and digital space. So starting with maybe a CTV advertising, but being able to measure that across devices in an omni-channel type of way. So across all those digital footprints, we're going to see some of those measurement companies reach into the CTV space and see how they can play. And I think we'll see some challenges around that and some of those companies flounder a bit because of integration challenges, privacy challenges, data flow, like you know, adoption of SDKs or third-party pixels, uh, privacy pushbacks. So um, all of that I think will you know, lead to more refinement in the CTV space, but also you know, in increasing um, technology developments in the platforms and obviously a lot more spend being allocated um, in those OTT, CTV, AVOD, SVOD areas. Um, so yes, prediction number one. What do you think about that one? I, I, I think it's good. Um, so <clears throat> for me, um, I think a lot of what you were saying about the, the brands and the advertisers you know, wanting to have more transparency and, and more sort of insight into, you know, the sort of data sources, if you will, and where they're coming from makes a ton of sense. I think the play into the connected TV space and the OTT space, uh, you know, are, um, you know, we're, we're seeing so much growth there, right? I mean, I think people are increasingly cutting the cord. Um, you know, I spent the entire <laughs> last number of days living in Netflix world, right? Um, and Amazon Prime and everything I could I could find. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's definitely opportunity or, uh, there for advertising to, to make some inroads. I think we've talked this year uh, on a number of stories about the 
out of home companies, the digital out of home companies getting into some of that space now and kind of mirroring ads between placements in traditional out of home space to, you know, what you see um, on your small screen, uh, you know, at home. And I, I think we're going to see a ton of growth there. But I think it does come with uh, a need for transparency and measurement 100%. So fully on board with, uh, with your thoughts there. All right, I'll move to my first one, which I think is a big one for uh, for this coming year. You know, it's it's not even I don't even think it's been a year since uh, you know we've heard people talking about the idea of uh, NFTs. Um, and if you're not familiar with an NFT, that's a non fungible token. So this is a um, a cryptographic token that exists in the blockchain world, and essentially people are creating these things. Um, to represent um, tangible assets. This could be a piece of artwork, this could be, you know, a piece of real estate, it could be anything, but basically you can buy, um, you know, sort of these unique assets that have been created that can't be replicated because it's on the blockchain um, and they have value and they may rise in value. It's, it's kind of like the new world of, you know, collectibles and comics and things that I grew up with um, or, you know, hockey cards or, you know, whatever. Um, but in a digital sense, um, and many, many brands are, are jumping on board uh, this already and experimenting. I know McDonald's and Coke and, you know, Under Armour uh, and, and lots of people are trying it. I know Under Armour just released, um, you know, sort of to coincide with Steph Curry's uh, hitting the uh, that milestone three-point record, you know, where he hit uh, 2,974 three-pointers broke the record um, and so Under Armour issued a special digital sort of sneaker you know thing um, and there was only 2,974 2, copies of this NFT available. They sold them for $333 a piece. That's almost a million bucks that they generated in revenue just from you know marking this milestone with a digital uh, you know sort of piece that, that people could buy. Um, and we're seeing more and more of, of that type of thing, um, you know, and, and I, it's not going to slow down. You're going to see many, many more brands, many advertisers jump on this in 2022. What I'm hoping to see and kind of where the prediction piece comes is a, a bit of a connection between where these things are accessible or, or made available from a geo perspective. So I can see a, a sort of an overlay between you know, the physical world uh, and an NFT world where you get like sort of Pokemon Go plus NFTs, um, you know, sort of coming together, right? Um, the gaming community getting behind it in that sense uh, or physical bricks and mortar retail, um, you know, or restaurant chains, you know, sort of making their spaces the place where you can find the NFT. Um, that becomes interesting to me because then it's, it's driving traffic um, it's driving revenue and, and you're actually selling something, you know, in, in the actual NFT itself. Um, so I, I, uh, I see a lot of opportunity for this and I think this is going to be a big, uh, a big play for, uh, for the location, you know, community, uh, coming into the, uh, the new year here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a great prediction and I agree with, um, you know, a lot of that focus and, it's interesting because when we first started talking about blockchain technology many years ago, you know, it was a very like, 
I don't know, kind of smoke and mirrors, rainbows and unicorns type of thing. Yeah. And, and also very vague in terms of what the actual benefits were of blockchain technology. And I think we've continued to see some real world applications and refinement of that over the last few years. And I do think that we'll continue to see more of that this coming year where we have just, you know, it's starting to take flight, right? We need to see some more applications of how this works. NFT is super interesting. I'm very uh, interested in looking at this from like the art perspective and, and how you can buy and sell things um, in that sense. And my one other thought here is, are there going to be, um, you know, explorations into ways to make this a more environmentally friendly technology as well? Because uh, you know, as we've heard, there's a lot of implications on climate change with the amount of computers and the amount of energy that it takes to actually run blockchain and, and you know, make all of those data points across ledgers on an every single day basis um, and an always on capability. So I'm hopeful that that will be something um, that, you know, we start to explore as well if there is, is more of a, uh, you know, reducing that carbon footprint type of approach that they can take and make this a little bit more usable. But I like that prediction, it's good. <laughs> All right. All right, so on to my second prediction here, I have a round, um, just the way that data flows and works and traditionally um, how we have used, you know, consumer data um, and, and how advertisers and brands have been able to use that over the years and how they'll continue to use that might be shifting. So we've seen a rise in data clean rooms and, and heard a lot about these data clean rooms, if you will, or bunkers uh, from a variety of different companies that have been trying to you know, set up a more um, privacy centric approach to the way that this works. And you know, we saw some of these shifts happening even as early as let's say 2018, when we've had some big agencies and big media players um, with acquisitions such as IPG acquisition of Axiom. And there's been several of those, you know, where they're starting to say, okay, let's bring in the consumer data platforms in-house so that we can leverage that across all of our agencies under this house and all of those brands consumer data. Um, so we have kind of a co-op and we can um, take ownership of that in essence so that we are a little bit more insulated from a lot of the changes that are happening when it comes to any type of an identity graph, you know, whether it's something that lives on a live ramp or, or otherwise. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to see more brands, advertisers, platforms engaging with the likes of Snowflake and Infosum and Habu and, um, you know, what have you there. And I, I, I think we're going to see more of a shift away from the live ramp approach for the data crosswalking and matching um, and trying to more eliminate the middleman, right? I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's the focus of what, you know, blockchain and crypto and everything is, is eliminating that middleman in some essence. And this is the same case here is that, you know, people are trying to have that more direct one-to-one um, -one matching and approach um, where there's less players, less uh, capability for data leakage, if you will. And it's also going to mean more of a uh, probabilistic and contextual targeting approach to audience finding, which is okay because we can show that it is still effective and likely less of a deterministic approach. Um, so I think that's like a big area that we're going to continue to see just new ways that brands, advertisers, uh, agencies, representative 
uh, of that, you know, and then these platforms like the DSPs starting to engage with, with consumer data for specifically for targeting, um, as well as for insights and analytics on the backside of things, um, and just providing those insights and how brands can connect with their most valuable consumers. So um, I'm, I mean, it's geeky, but I'm excited to see kind of how that, that plays out and what are the capabilities going to be and, and kind of uptick there. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, yes, the elimination of the middleman, um, I'll go along with that for the most part. I, I think that, um, you know, there's been, you know, you, you pointed out live ramp. So, I, so I, th I think there's a lot of people that have, there's been an exodus lately, right, of, of people leaving live ramp, you know, doing new startups, you know, kind of going all over the place. Um, and I think part of that is creating this new data clean room, you know, sort of community and, and, and other things around that. Um, I think, um, you know, there's a couple of thoughts running through my head listening to you. So, so one is, is sort of the growth of that clean room, the transparency piece that you talked about, but even the environmental impact piece that you talked about, I, I think that, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see this sort of uh, wave of a movement towards um, let's call it charitable, you know, sort of initiatives that are tied to data uh, over the next little while, and and so I, I think you're gonna see you know sort of this the, this new wave of companies that emerge that says, hey, yeah, we're collecting data, but you know there's like there, there's good that can be done with this data and good that can happen from this data and organizations that can be supported through this data. Um, and whether that's impacting the environment or impacting poverty or impacting whatever, um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, sort of, the, you know, uh, some good that can come. And I, and I think that part of that too is, is we've, we've had 18 months, 19 months, however long we've been in this now for, for this COVID world of um you know sort of reflecting upon who we are as people and what's going on in our world and connecting with family and realizing what's important and i think for a lot of business people in our community uh, at least people i've talked to in the lbma circles in the world like people are really reflecting on what's important and and i think they're looking at how do we make our companies more uh, relevant um, and more uh, impactful in in communities um, than just data companies, right? So, so that's kind of you know my my reflection on on what you're saying. So, but uh, but I agree overall. I like it. Okay, uh, my second prediction. Uh, so we're going to jump over now to the autonomous vehicle space, and um, I think we're going to see some more growth here. Um, I think partly driven by COVID where you've got, you know, sort of just this, you know, need to, you know, sort of not touch things and not be, you know, in proximity of people and other things as much as possible. And so the notion of, you know, automated delivery and autonomous vehicles makes a lot of sense. You have companies like Waymo, which, you know, have come out of the Google uh, world, uh, Neuro, um, there's a company called Starship over in Europe, you know, that are all doing, you know, fairly well at getting into the space of like little robots running down the street, delivering, you know, goods and services and things like that. 
And so, so I think you're going to see more and more of this. We've talked earlier this year about FedEx and UPS and others, you know, playing around with drones and doing deliveries and Amazon's in that space as well. Um, so I just think that, you know, for, you know, certain types of packaging, certain types of products, um, you know, it makes sense that you're going to see more and more of this type of delivery. Um, I know there are companies playing around with truck fleets and, and autonomous boats out there, like for shipping and, and things like that as well. And even those kinds of things, you know, I think, you know, are still early, early days to me, but, but I think we're going to see growth in the space overall this year. And, you know, the reason that that's relevant to our, our community is, is that, you know, the, the, all of those vehicles rely on high quality GPS and navigation systems and, and location data, right? Not just, you know, where they are, but where they have to go and when they have to get there and the route that they have to take and the optimization of those routes and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we're getting better uh, on satellites and, and you know, uh, accuracy of, of navigation. But I think that, you know, a lot of the players that we've worked with over the years that, you know, are involved in, in various location signal pieces, whether that's Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi or other things, have a role to play there. Because I think you need to, in order, if you're going to deliver something, let's say, in an office building, you know, from one floor to the next to a, a certain, you know, office suite or boardroom or whatever, you need to have microlocation layered in on top of, you know, the GPS signals and other things happening. And so I think, you know, we're not there yet, but I think there's an opportunity for some of these companies to really leapfrog ahead and, and, and show that, you know, they can be truly accurate and, and, and in delivering things in an autonomous way. So I'm looking forward to, to growth, not just from the companies I mentioned, but, but I think there's new companies yet to emerge there. And obviously all the car companies are all playing in this space as well, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I, I think that's a great, uh, a great prediction. I'm hopeful that there's uh, continued improvements in customer convenience <laughs> and delivery of goods and services. So, um, I mean, I think that every everybody is like, somehow we're working from home, but we're working more and we're busier than ever. And, you know, anything that we can do to improve upon any of those, uh, you know, our lives on a day-to-day -day basis and minimize some of the things that we have to do that are extra and not delivering joy, uh, you know, I think that's a great, a great place for us to um, invest in and, and hope that there's a lot of growth this year. So, all right, so I'm going to go somewhere that is not as fun of a topic, but you know, it's kind of uh, inevitable here, but <laughs> we're gonna go to the, the privacy talk, right? Um, okay, where are we going? You know, what, what do we think is gonna happen in 2022 here? And I expect a very big uptick in chatter around privacy um, in 2022, but perhaps just chatter. Um, and what I mean by that is we've seen some interesting moves. So for example, the delay in Google um, pushing through the cookie deprecation there, you know, they pushed that out and, and delayed that change. But we've also seen a lot of focus in the last month or so, um, specifically on location data and use of location data for marketing and advertising purposes. Um, you know, I'll call out, there's a, um, you know, two Congress uh, representatives, uh, Congressman, it's Jamie Raskin from Maryland and Congresswoman Katie Porter from California. And, you know, they had sent a letter to the FCC and the FTC 
um, along with 42 other Democratic colleagues, you know, requesting new rulemaking around strengthening these privacy protections that are needed for consumers, specifically calling out location data. You know, we saw some call outs after we talked about the uh, Life360 and Tile, um, you know, business deal that happened and some of the data perhaps that belong to, you know, minors and children that was being sold and, and repackaged and how that's maybe getting pushed out through multiple providers or ag data aggregators. Um, so, you know, I think this, this is very likely to lead to continued consolidation in the location data space in terms of providers. Um, but I think it also is, you know, really highlighting that there's a clear need for and use of PII, um, the applications need to have a clear need for and a use of. Um, and I do think that we're going to see ownership of data slowly shift back to the consumer, right? And, you know, maybe it's going to start likely with, um, you know, data minimization, but it, I think it's going to kind of get a little bit worse and harder um, challenge wise for advertisers and platforms before it gets better. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I would love to see where us as consumers actually own our data that we create and, and we can exchange that as a value for, you know, free services, whether that's, um, you know, video on demand, right? So there's advertising that is, is something that I exchange my data for because I want to have relevant advertising. And I'm also okay with they know what I'm what I'm watching so that they can provide more relevant content, create more relevant content that I'm interested in. So having a very clear uh, value proposition for consumers, but also taking that ownership out of these aggregators, out of the SDK owners, and placing it back in our hands and saying, hey, we want to give you the value and the opportunity to sunset your data as you see fit and making it very clear and simple. Because right now, even with the changes in things like GDPR and with um, CCPA, all of those things, they're not, they're not changing um, the transparency or the understanding that the everyday human being has of, of what's happening with their data and their personal information. And so really shifting that back, I think we will likely perhaps see some movement on this in 2023, but I think with all of the um, elections happening this year, as well as, you know, just some changes that are happening in terms of data collection in general, we're not going to see a ton of movement in 23 until 2023. Um, but I expect to hear lots about it. What do you think? Fully on board with that. So um, I, I recall I had I had a conversation early in the year last year, like around it must have been March, April, something like that. I got a call from Senator Wyden's office, um, one of his uh, staff, and um, you know they um, so that's Democratic Senator from Oregon, and um, you know, they, uh, they want to have a conversation about location data and the Patriot Act and a bunch of other things that they were concerned about, you know, the use of this type of data by government agencies, you know, to track down illegal immigrants or, you know, all sorts of other things that they didn't think were appropriate. And, and, and um, you know, and, and, and you can't argue that, right? Like, you got to say, like, you know, yes, that's, you know, like, there's good commercial use cases of location data, and then there's, there's not. Um, and there's limits on, you know, I, I believe there should be limits on what the government can do uh, with this type of data. And so I, I think, yes, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of dialogue around this. 
it would be great, and we've been talking for years now about this this world where I can, as a consumer, proactively contribute my, you know, demographic, psychographic information, location into something where I can exchange that for something I want. I don't think we're quite there yet. We've talked about this idea for a number of years, this personal data vaulting type of uh, of scenario. Um, I still think it's viable. I think you know to what you were alluding to earlier with the CTV world. Uh, I think it's you know it, it's the makeup of that makes more sense now. But it, it, we need to get to you know the true notion where you know privacy is an exchange, and we've been talking about this for years right it's an exchange of value it's not just here's my stuff do with it as you please and we have the same thing happening here in canada as well um so there was just a story that broke i don't know the other week about the the government has admitted that they were buying data from the phone companies here to understand whether people were following stay-at-home orders or not early in the pandemic uh apparently that ceased now um but you know they they were doing that they didn't tell people they were doing that and so people are, you know, obviously, you know, up in arms about it. So, you, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is COVID has, you know, in some cases made the use of location data for things like, are people following stay-at-home orders? Or am I coming in contact with somebody who has COVID and I want to know about that or so on and so forth. These are good, potentially positive use cases of location data as long as you have proper disclosure and people know what's going on and they can understand the benefit, there's value, there's an exchange, right? Um, but I think when you're doing that, you know, without that kind of knowledge and transparency, it becomes a problem, right? And um, I think, again, you know, we just need to go back to these basic principles of value exchange and transparency and, and, uh, and then generally people are good, people are okay. So yeah, that's kind of what I think about it. Yeah, it's unfortunate because we're seeing it's like we're hearing two different stories where we're say, you know, we've got government on one hand saying, trust us, trust us, we've got this under control when it comes to your health or, you know, the economy or whatever it may be, but then they're doing things that are not trustworthy on the other side. And it's, um, you know, it's definitely, um, I think, concerning as like citizens, as just humans and and I do, you know, I started thinking about this earlier today too, is that something that I love about shopping on Amazon, and I also love, sh you know, shopping locally and trying to support local business owners as well. But what I love about it is that I can go to the Smile Amazon checkout and support a variety of charities when I do that. And I think that's really powerful. And I started thinking, what if there was a way to support charities through your data, right? Is that something that people would be willing to do? I think so. I think that people would be willing to say, you know, instead of giving me a $20 gift card to my favorite QSR, would you be willing to make a larger donation to a, you know, a charitable organization of my choice with my, you know, in exchange for the value of my data? And I'm like, this, think about the good that could be done with it. As you mentioned, there's a lot of good that could be done with it, but, you know, leaving it in the hands of, well, the wild, wild west right now, or government is questionable to me. Like, how do we just make a better environment, um, you know, as an industry perhaps before it gets down to someone else who maybe doesn't understand it or has their own motivations for it. Yeah, um, yeah and what you said is bang on. I'm actually uh, working on a, on a startup. I can't say too much about it yet um, in, in that space. So 
I'll, uh, I'll tell you more about that another time. But anyhow, all right. Final prediction from me is uh, a rebirth or a growth in the peer-to-peer -peer marketplace space. So, you know, this, this isn't a new space. This is a space that, you know, we've been, you know, part and parcel of in the location world for a long time now. You know, I can think back to companies like Zarly and TaskRabbit and, and some of these guys that, you know, created marketplaces based on your location to find goods or services nearby, you know, to trade or swap or barter or purchase, um, you know, based on your geolocation. Obviously in today's world, you know, we have things like Facebook Marketplace, um, you know, and things like that, that uh, are growing by leaps and bounds right now. Um, and I think the reason I, I wanted to kind of highlight this is because I, I think as we move into this next year ahead, um, you know, for many people, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, still a high percentage of the population that's unemployed right now or underemployed right now. Um, and I think that, you know, we've been sitting around our homes. We've realized, you know, sort of what's important to us. We've looked around and said, you know, like there's a lot of stuff in our, in our houses, you know, for many of us anyways, that we don't need. Um, and so let's put that up on Facebook marketplace. Let's, you know, let's, let's sort of recoup, you know, some of that investment. Let's make some fast cash, you know, let's find people nearby who need this thing, actually need it or, or, you know, have some use for it. Um, you know, or service for that matter. It could, it doesn't have to be products. It can be, you know, I, I know how to play guitar and you want to learn to play guitar and you live near me. Let's, let's, let's hook up and do that. And I'll charge you and, you know, create a marketplace that way, um, you know, which is what TaskRabbit was all about uh, back in the day before IKEA uh, acquired it. Uh, um, so so I think we're going to see a sort of a resurgence of these types of, of marketplaces and growth for the ones that are, you know, already there. And I think that coupled uh, to some extent with, I think, a bit of a, uh, a rebirth of the shopping mall, the traditional physical shopping mall, because I think we've been cooped up. We want to get back out into the real world again. And I think the malls are going to see a bit of a, you know, sort of a lift in traffic. I don't know if it'll be long lived or not, but they will see a lift in traffic, I believe, going into the new year. Uh, you know, once all these restrictions lift and, and we kind of get out of this, uh, this COVID uh, bubble that we're in. Um, but I think part of that might be too that, um, you know, they've got stuff that's been sitting around. They can, you know, take advantage of some of these marketplaces, some of these merchants and these retailers in there, um, especially local business, especially small business. I think there's a big opportunity there to uh, participate within the, the marketplace community and even business to business type of marketplaces at a, at a local, local level. Um, so I think, you know, I, I see big opportunity and big, you know, uh, big growth in, in this type of peer to peer, uh, structure. Um, and I think a lot of uh, money to be made or at least exchanged, let's call it, uh, across that type of environment. So looking forward to that. Yeah. I think also like people, like you said, people have really realized that they don't need so much stuff. What actually, you know, they've taken the Marie Kondo kind of book and plugged it in, like what actually is you know, bringing me, you know, excitement and happiness into my home and my life. And if it doesn't deliver that, then I should get rid of it. 
um, you know, that was like very freeing part of moving, just kind of purging so many things that I don't really use and um, didn't have the need for. And, I, and I'm sure there's so much more that I still could do. Um, but it's also about recycling, right? And reusing and finding things, not only at a discounted price, but something that maybe is unique, right? It's not something that's store-bought. It's something that's um, vintage or, you know, yeah. it has, it has a, a story behind it. And I think that that's like really exciting, but I do love the idea also of, you know, new opportunities for in-person retail. I know here and, you know, in New York where I am right outside the city, there was a ton of different holiday pop-ups for small businesses outside, you know, outside by the train station, just different little stores and small businesses could come with their their soaps and their candles and their jewelry and, you know, headbands and all those fun things. And it was really fun to just kind of support those businesses, but also find something that's unique and didn't, you know, come with a specific tag on it. Um, so I'm excited to see how that, that grows as well. Um, and it kind of merges in with like the whole convenience factor you talked about with, you know, the automation <laughs> as well. Yeah. So that's it. I, I think overall, lots to look forward to uh, as we go into a new year. We can, you know, pray and hope that, uh, you know, COVID uh, won't be with us when we're doing the show next year. I'm hoping for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, but but I think there's there, there's lots ahead of us uh, in terms of opportunity uh, and new companies to come and lots of growth. So uh, just wishing everybody a fantastic uh, new year um, and, uh, you know, good times ahead. And uh, we'll see you next week for, for another show.